Our scripture reading is in Psalm 2 this morning. If you would turn to Psalm 2. I wish Beth Ann our comfort and that's the passing of her father a week ago, so. Psalm 2, a royal psalm, begins with a question, why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. I will tell of the decree. The Lord said to me, You are my son, Today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Now therefore, O kings, be wise. Be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son lest he be angry and you perish in the way for his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. We'll turn over to Hebrews chapter 1. So we continue in our series in Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 1. Let's pray. Father, as we open your word in this book of Hebrews, we ask that you would Illuminate us, give us wisdom, understanding. Help us to glory in Christ Jesus. And we pray in his name, amen. You are here. Haven't you seen that in various places? A map or sign that says, you are here. The little dot there that tells you where you are. You've seen them in hospitals. You've seen them in malls. You see them on your GPS or your map on your phone. You are here. Charlene tells me that they have them at the conservation areas on the hiking trails. You are here. We actually have one of these signs at our church here. This appears in the lobby from time to time when there's visitors. And there is a red dot at the entrance of the complicated uh, map of our church, isn't it? People can get lost here. And it says here, you are here, is what the red dot means. We'll come back to that in just a minute. Well, 
He's already told us in the book of Hebrews that the prophets pointed us to Jesus Christ. But how much greater is or are the prophets? Greater. Christ is greater. He's the definitive revelation of God. He's the creator, the preserver, the inheritor of creation. All that is, he's the very glory of God. He's the very imprint of his nature. He's the cleanser of sin, and he sits at the right hand of the Father in the Father-Son relationship as they administer and will administer sovereignly all that is. He's the logos of God. Now, if we were to think of some greater creature than mankind, we would very quickly settle on angels, wouldn't we? And look at what he says in verse 4 of Christ. He says, having become as much superior, that is, Christ is superior to angels, as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. That means the cherubim, the seraphim, the archangels, the ministers of God, they are inhabitants of the supernatural realm, the unseen world, but he is superior. That word is, means he's greater than them. His name is greater. His name is the Son of God. And throughout the rest of this chapter, what he gives us is seven Old Testament reflections about the glory and greatness of Jesus Christ compared to angels. It's seven was chosen on purpose. In the Jewish mind, seven was the perfect number, the, the number of perfection. And so even in uh, the number he's chosen, he's wanting us to understand how great and how glorious is the Christ, superior. He says in verse 5, For to which of the angels did God ever say, You are my son, today I have begotten you. Or again, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. Of which of the angels did he ever say this? The answer is none. And those who are reading the book and hearing it read to them would be nodding their heads a millennia ago. They would say, yes, of course. The angels are created beings. They're not the son of God. He's quoting frequently from Psalm 2 here, which is a royal psalm that really pictures the coronation of Jesus Christ uh, as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. The coronation where, where witnesses were let in to hear uh, what the Father is saying of his Son. And he has received a name that no angel received. No angel would say that they are the Son. That is only the Son of God. In verse 6, he says, and again, when he brings the firstborn into the world, he says that all God's angels worship him. The angels worship the Son. Angels are not worshipped. And everybody would be nodding their heads, of course. We don't worship angels. Remember, John tried to do this in the book of Revelation. He fell down at the feet of angels, and he fell down prostrate. And the angel said, don't do that. Don't do that, he said. I'm a fellow servant of yours. He says, worship God. Worship God. And so we sang, as we began our service, all hail the power of Jesus' name. Let angels prostrate fall. 
bring forth the royal diadem and crown him Lord of all. In verse 7, of the angels, he says, he makes his angels winds and his ministers a flame of fire. That is, as quoting from uh, Psalm 103, and there, he's simply speaking that winds are his servant, uh, angels are his servant. They do the bidding of God. They are made like wind when wind is needed. They're made like fire when fire is needed. They are malleable, changeable. They are created. And they serve God. Compared to the sun, but of the sun, so now we have a contrast. He says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. There is, it's unchangeable. It's eternal, stable. The rule of the sun in which the Father and the Son participate together sovereignly. Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of your uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness, hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. It's interesting how the Son is called God. At the, in verse 8, your throne, O God, and then therefore, your God, your God, has anointed you. Speaking of the first and second person of the Trinity. And then we find in verse 10. You, Lord, laid the foundation of the earth in the beginning. Remember, Jesus is creator. He's the creator. He's not created. He's eternal. He's not temporal. You, Lord, laid the foundation of the earth. He was there before all things were. And the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like a garment, like a robe. You will roll them up like a garment. They will be changed, but you are the same, and your years will have no end. He's speaking of the sun remaining, that the sun was before all things, and he is beyond all things. Yeah. And then his honor and worth, verse 13, to which of the angels has he ever said, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? The father's never said that to an angel, but he had said it to his son, speaking of the honor and worth of his son as he sits at his right hand. He tells us of angels, aren't they all ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation? And so in verse Psalm, uh, Psalm 89, we read these words. Who in the skies above can compare with the Lord? Who is like the Lord among the heavenly beings? In the council of the holy ones, God is greatly feared. He is more awesome than they are. They surround him. Oh, Lord God Almighty, who is like you? He's more awesome than them. Angels are not the sun. They're not worshipped. They are created, they're ministering spirits, they serve where they are assigned to serve, but the Son, the Son is greater. He is King of kings, he's worshipped, he's eternal, he's unchangeable, he's sovereign, he's before all and beyond all, and he alone sits in the place in the seat of honor and power beside the Father. And this is why in Revelation 5, listen to Re uh, these words, I looked and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne and living creatures and the elders. And what were they saying? This, worthy is the lamb that was slain 
to receive power and riches and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. Every created being, visible and invisible, angels worshiping the Son who is Christ. All other luminaries compared to Christ are just shaded the prophets of old, the angels. And so we sing fair is the sunshine, fair still the moonlight, and all the twinkling starry host, Jesus shines brighter. Jesus shines purer than all the angels heaven can boast. Put them all together. And the sun is the glorious one. This being the case, he says in chapter 2, therefore we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. The things that we've heard, the revelation of God in Jesus Christ, the Son, the creator, sustainer, inheritor, who is the glory of God, the imprint of his nature, who rules, who's worshipped eternal, king of kings before all, beyond all, pay much closer attention to what you've heard. Don't drift away, he says. This word drift away is a nautical term. It's a term that's only used here in the New Testament, but is used in extra-biblical writings. It's a picture of a ship to drift away, nautical in the sense that the ship is out there, but it is prey to currents and waves. And he's saying that we are here in Christ. We are in Christ and we are moving forward in Christ. We've been let in on the coronation ceremony of Christ in heaven. We've heard and witnessed it. We're with Christ, but don't drift away, he says. Pay more attention to what we've heard. You see, we can slip off course. We can give in to the waves and there's different directions that we can go. There was a tsunami. Did you see that volcano in the uh, South Pacific yesterday in the ocean? Just happened to have a satellite looking down and it looks like a nuclear warhead went off and this huge underwater volcano and it's the, the waves went out from it and tsunami warnings all around the Pacific um, different places had very high levels of water. There was a tsunami warning in British Columbia and Vancouver as a result of that. The waves, and the currents. And they can push us in the wrong direction. They can push us tides and currents, waves in an untrustworthy sea and put us on a collision course to disaster. And that's the image that he wants us to get. 
a nautical image. If we're failing to pay attention to hold our faith in Christ and continue forward in Christ, we go forward to the shore, to the beautiful shore. Step way by way, pushing forward through all the currents. If we fail to pay attention, um, we will be shipwrecked. He tells us about this um, failure holding to hold fast in Christ. Uh, he tells us about this in the parable of the sower who went out to sow his seed, right? The devil snatched away some of the word of God. Tribulation or persecution can snatch away the word of God. Some of you, um, you know, the first place you're going to feel opposition in the world is in regard to the sexual ethic, right, of Christ and the word of God. That a man is a man, a woman is a woman, and and holding to that is the first pressure you're going to feel. Or the exclusivity of Jesus Christ, that he is the only way. That enrages the nations. It enrages people to think that there's only one way because they don't want his bonds, Psalm 2 says. They don't want his cards. They want to cast them off. They want their own way, many ways. And that's where you'll first encounter opposition in those areas. And then he tells us about the cares of the world choking out the word of God in us. The deceitfulness of riches and our possessions and our comforts and what that can do to us and make us soft. And we might, you might not be even knowing you're drifting, but you are. You're not taking in his word, perhaps, or fellowshipping with him as much your sins aren't bothering you as much as they used to, perhaps. You're not in relationship in prayer and reading his word and drifting away. There's a hymn that says, Drifting away from Jesus, helpless and tossed with care, I shall land forever somewhere. I know not where. I'll, I'll make the shore somewhere. But who knows where it will be, he says. You know, out there in the shore that we sailed away from, out there in the world, people, there's people who feel alone. They feel isolated. People who feel pointless and that there's meaningless in their life. What, what, their life doesn't have any, any meaning purpose, high levels of anxiety, high levels of fear, high levels as a consequence of all of this, there's high levels of aggression, there's high level of frustrations being expressed out there where many sail, drifting away. You know, the, our fellow Canadians would love us to sail with them, to join their flotilla of foolishness, their fleet of faithlessness, their convoy of the condemned. And they are living in a shakable kingdom, 
one that has no security and no certainty and no safety to trust in. And we too have seen in churches, every church has experienced it, a drifting away during these COVID years. Some, they say 20% of Christians simply are done. It's not that they're staying home because of risk to their health, which is legitimate. It's not because they're staying home because they, they have health problems or, or their age or, or, or whatever that legitimately keeps them at home, but that there is a large proportion of those who attended Christian churches who are simply, well, they've sunk beneath the waves. In the email that the elder sent out, uh, Paul Carter's article there quotes Ed Stelzer saying that of a hundred people in a typical church, the front third uh, became more engaged, the middle third are struggling in churches, and the back third have largely disconnected themselves from any church. It's not that they're going elsewhere or that they're, they have legitimate reasons to be away. They just completely given up on church, given up on Christ. They're sailing away, they're drifting. And he says that what's interesting is that it hasn't been uh, that churches are suffering from a lack of giving. Those who have left or are drifting away, obviously many of them were not giving in the first place. They weren't connected in church, they weren't engaged, they weren't helping and participating. And, and, and so as they drifted away, the impact on the church that's left behind has been minimal. Somewhat as Jesus said, look, for three years now I've come seeking fruit on this fig tree and I find no more. Why should it use up the ground? Why should it use up a pew? And you and I need to stand fast and stay on course. That's what he's telling us. To stand fast and stay on course. And more wonder to Christ. More praise to Christ. More love to thee, O Christ. More love to thee. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. Things of earth grow strangely dim. In the light of his glory. And his grace. Worship, honor, glory, blessing we offer to him, expressing glad homage. We are here, you see, we are here together at this time in history, this place of worship, but we are here together in Christ Jesus. And so this is a warning he gives us. We must pay much closer attention to what we've heard, lest we drift away from it. He says, for since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, um, the Jewish history was a, you know, th uh, think of the law, the, even, the, even the Pentateuch, the first five books, and the law of God was given by angels. How shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? 
It was declared at first by the Lord. It was attested to us by those who heard. While God also bore witness by signs, wonders, various miracles, and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. If what angels gave, if that was ignored, and that brought judgment, how much more if we fail to, to honor the Son, pay attention to Jesus Christ, if you go by the Blue Water Bridge uh, in any season except winter, <laughs> you'll see a, quite a few fishing boats out there, won't you? At the mouth of, of Huron and St. Clair. And you'll see the fishing boats all lined up. I've been out there with, with a few of you at different times. And the, the fishing boats... You go, you, you go to the end of the line, working your way up towards Canaterra Park and past, and then you turn your motor off and you drift. And the current is strong and it moves you along and you're fishing, hoping, like me, catching nothing. Um, and before you know it, you're in a raging current you're, you're getting close to the bridge and, and the waves are getting higher and you've got to turn your motor on again and work your way all back up and leapfrog up to the top of the line again. Start it all over and over and over again. If you sit there on shore, you can watch the hopeful fishermen. The power of the current today is strong. The power of waves to move us away from Christ. Our culture would desire us to move away from Christ. Because as we saw last week, they're done with Jesus. They want us to be done with him too. And he says, take care. We must pay more closer attention to what we've heard. Last we drift away. You may be drifting, you don't even know it. The, mo the motor's off, the, the sail is down, the oars are in the boat, and, and it's a dangerous position to be in, drifting away. And you'll find that you can sail with worldly vessels for a time, but in the end, it's shipwrecked. In the end, you founder. In the end, you go beneath the waves. Pay careful attention. For some, it's to do with sexuality, sex before marriage, sex outside of marriage, in our sexualized culture, and Christians are giving ground and participating. For some, it's drugs and alcohol and finding for whatever reason that these things are now acceptable in many Christian homes to great degrees. I mean, drugs now, you can just fit in with the crowd. I mean, there's, they're everywhere, it seems, these little pop-up stores and Flower stores, they call them, don't they? Near the gas stations. It's 
filling our lives with anything but the Lord. And further and further, further and further away from Christ. Of Damas in the Bible, it says, he was in love with this present world. So he left, right? He was in love with this present world. Brothers and sisters, the most necessary thing in your life is to hold fast to Jesus. In Sunday school, we're looking at three fundamental basic truths of Christian life that have largely been given up on. And that's giving, but face-to-face compassion. Secondly is prayer. And thirdly, Anybody know what it is? Matthew 6? Fasting. Fundamental things to pick up and maybe start again. We're looking at those in Sunday school. We are here in the fullness of Jesus Christ. Full steam ahead. I hope that your heart full steam ahead with Christ. Full steam ahead and we will meet on that beautiful shore, won't we? Amen? Let's pray together. Father, we praise you, Lord of heaven, and we adore you. And at your right hand is your son. And just even to be part of that coronation and to hear your words and what you've said of your son, we, we delight in him. We praise him and honor him. And we pray, Lord, in a world where the currents are are going in all directions, the winds are from every, every quarter, the winds are blowing to blow us off course, to cause us to be consumed by the worries of this world, things of this world, and to forget Jesus. Father, maybe we could even tune out from the world a little bit for a little while and, and spend some days just with Jesus in, in the word and in prayer, fasting and giving. Heavenly Father, fill us with your spirit. Uh, push our boat to safe waters and to that glorious shore that waits. We pray for needing your help in these troubled days. Needing your Holy Spirit. Uh, blow on us and take us in that delightful course. We pray in the name of the one who we praise and thank and who we pay full attention to this morning your son, our savior, Jesus. We pray in his name. Amen.